The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. He had been training for this trip his entire life. I mean, this trip was a culmination of all of his plans. It's, it's as if he were born for it. He had come from wealthy parents, a respected family, citizens of the empire, in fact, a, a thing that did not come easily. And from early on, everyone could tell that his future was bright. He was intelligent, gifted, charismatic, so when the time was right, his parents arranged for him to have the best education you could find. They sent him off to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of the world-famous teacher, Gamaliel. And he excelled in his studies. He was far surpassing everyone in his own age group. And the people in the know in Jerusalem, they saw an up-and-comer in this young man. They saw leadership in his potential. It wasn't long before a lot of people started to take notice. They expected great things from him as he matured. And they weren't disappointed. He was a rising star, young, intelligent, driven. And at this point in his life, he was at the top of his game. All the religious leaders in Jerusalem knew that he was a go-to man. When a problem came up, they knew whom they'd get. They'd get the guy named Saul the rising star, the troubleshooter. He became their weapon of choice. Because there was plenty of trouble going around in Jerusalem at that time, though probably the most critical trouble were the people that called themselves followers of the way. These were people who believed in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, of course, the religious leaders had made sure that this Jesus was executed, though there were some troubling stories about the tomb. But yet, that didn't seem to dissuade his followers, who claimed he'd risen from the dead. And at this point, this group called The Way was growing in Jerusalem beyond the control of the religious leaders. They knew they had to do something about it. They knew. Now, at this point, for the Christians in Jerusalem, the members of The Way, life was good. I mean, they met in the temple. They surrounded themselves with their Christian brothers and sisters. They listened to the apostles as they preached, as they taught, as they performed miracles. And more and more people in Jerusalem were flocking into their gatherings. More and more people were being added to the way and confessing faith in Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead. But the good part of the Christian life in Jerusalem was about to be disrupted. In fact, these Christians were about to experience their worst nightmare. His name was Saul. Saul, that rising star, he got the job of clearing Jerusalem out of these Christians. Religious leaders didn't want them anymore, and they needed someone who could do the hard thing, who wasn't afraid of a little wet work, who had the stomach for it. They got Saul. And they got exactly the right man for the job. He relished it. He brought every bit of his talent, every bit of his intelligence, every bit of his drive 
to bear against the Christian church. And like a wolf circling unsuspecting sheep, Saul began to circle the flock of God. The nightmare started the day that Stephen was arrested. Stephen was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, a good, a godly man, but Saul and his boys made sure to drum up some false witnesses against him. And then they riled up a mob and dragged him outside. And they killed him with rocks. He didn't die quickly. But enough stones and enough rocks, and they crushed the life out of Stephen. All under the watchful eye of Saul. And the church was crushed. I mean, Stephen he was dead. They killed Stephen. But before they even had a chance to mourn, Saul unleashed his fury against the church. Stephen was just the first to die for the name of Jesus. Many more followed. The Bible says that Saul ravaged the church like an animal would tear apart a sheep. Saul, the, the wolf, ripping apart the church, the lamb. He went from house to house and dragged off men and women. They were bound, they were imprisoned, and many of them were never heard from again. Some people have estimated that at this point in the church's history, in Jerusalem, the church had grown to maybe 25,000 members at this point. That was before Saul. After Saul? Well, the Bible says Saul destroyed the church in Jerusalem. First the church went underground, and then the church just left. In fact, the Bible says that by the end of it, the only Christians remaining in Jerusalem were the apostles. So Saul did his job. He did the hard thing. He didn't shy away from the wet work. He was a monster. A monster, though, that got the job done. Jerusalem was pretty much cleaned out. All that was left to do was uh, hunt down the people that had run away. And so that's exactly what this driven man decided to drive for next. So he goes to the religious leaders to get subpoenas for neighboring cities uh, so that he could go out and go hunting for Christians. His intent was to arrest them, chain them, bring them to Jerusalem for prison, or worse. And so, as he was traveling to Damascus with triumph behind him, subpoenas in his hand, and more triumph ahead of him, you know what? It must have seemed to Saul like he'd been training for this trip his entire life, like he'd been born for it. Saul, the triumphant one, he was going to go into the, name, into the city of Damascus and wipe out the name Jesus. So, as a uh, Saul and his band of thugs neared the city of Damascus, suddenly Saul's worst nightmare began. It was a blinding light in the middle of the road. Suddenly Paul is, Saul is on the ground and a voice is saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he looks up and sees something that shouldn't have been. He looks up and sees Jesus, who should be dead, but very much isn't. Jesus, who should be defeated, but very much wasn't. 
Can you almost hear it in Saul's voice when he's thinking this, this can't, can't be. Please let it not be. When he says, who are you? And he heard the name that he thought he was going to wipe from the face of the earth, but a name instead that cut him to the heart. He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Talk about your worst nightmare. I mean, Jesus, or Saul had come to wipe that name off the face of the earth. Saul had fought and bled and killed to fight that name. Now here he was, face to face with him. And if this is true, if this is Jesus, well, that means he's everything he said he was. It means he's everything the followers of the way said he was. It means he's the Son of God and I... I've fought against God, and I know what comes next. The Son of God showed up on that Damascus road, and what he should have done is struck Saul dead and sent him to hell. That's what God should have done. In fact, I'm sure that's exactly what Saul expected. But inexplicably, that's that's not why Jesus had come to that Damascus road. He hadn't come to punish He had come to call a sinner to repentance. He had come to call this wicked man away from his wickedness, but into the light of God's love. And he came to tell Saul that Jesus loved him, that he was a forgiven child of God. Can you imagine what was going through Saul's mind? I mean, what? Me? You would die for me? But if this is true, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, well, that means everything I've been doing in my religious fervor, all these things I thought I was doing for the good of kingdom and of God, if this is true, well, that makes me a monster. Makes me a serial murderer. You would die for me? I mean, Saul, the scourge of the church? Saul, the killer of women? Saul, the church's worst nightmare? You would come to tell me that I am also Saul, the forgiven child of God? Do you know those things you've done that you'll never be able to forgive yourself for? You know, uh, the words that came out, you could take back the the choices you've made, maybe the way in which you traded in your integrity for something tawdry, and you wake up in the morning and you, you wish it were all a dream, but, but it's not. You know those dark truths about you that you would be mortified if anyone else knew? Jesus knows them. Jesus sees them. He saw every single one. And now Jesus has come to tell you to leave those sins behind because he loves you in spite of them. He sees them all. He knows it all. And he calls you to leave them behind because he loves you in spite of them. You know, if we want to learn one thing from what happened on that road to Damascus, learn this one thing. There's there's no sin so grievous, there's no wrong so heinous 
that Jesus can't forgive them of you. I mean, if Jesus can forgive Saul, Jesus can forgive you. This is what he meant when the Bible said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One huge, messy pile of it. All of the sins of Saul the persecutor and all those sins that you and I are ashamed of, put them all, pile them up, put them on the Lamb of God who takes them away. There's not a sin you've committed that Jesus isn't willing to forgive. But he calls us to repentance. To say no to sin and yes to him. To leave the sins of our past in our past and not to continue wallowing them. That's, he was not calling on Saul to say, I forgive you for persecuting the church. Go back and persecute a little bit more and I'll keep forgiving you. No, he was calling him to a completely changed life. From persecutor to something brand new. We're going to find out that everything about Paul changed, excuse me, Saul changed when he met Jesus on the road. Even his name. Of course, this persecutor named Saul would be the one we'll call Paul. St. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. See, here's the thing. When God calls us to repentance and invites us to leave the sins of our past in our past, what he offers us instead is something so much better. A life lived in the plan and in the light of our Heavenly Father. A life lived, washed over in the grace and mercy of a God who's arrow-pointing down love, forgives us for our sins, and then doesn't leave us there in the road, but leads us forward in a future dedicated to him. And that's what happened with St. Paul. Years later, Paul looked back at his life and the fact that God took a sinful man like him, forgave him, and then sent him out. And he said, why did God do this for me? This is what he wrote years later. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Why would God forgive a man like Paul? because he wants you to know that he'll forgive a man or a woman like you. Jesus wanted to display his unlimited patience in Paul for you. So those sins that you don't know that you never forgive yourself for, well, in God's ledger book, they're forgiven, blotted out, forgotten, forever. So let's leave them in the past. Let's not wallow in the sins of yesterday, but let's walk into what God has in store for us tomorrow. I mean, inexplicably, God took this man and didn't just forgive him and then, I don't know, assign him to be last place in the kingdom, right? If he's really the worst of sinners, maybe, maybe he should be last, just squeaking by. No, listen to what Jesus said. He is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God is going to take all of his talents, all of his intelligence, and all of the drive that he used to persecute the church. He's going to turn it around and use all those things to proclaim the church to the world. You want to talk about grace. God didn't just forgive this man. He called him to be his great apostle to the Gentiles. Paul and you and me might say, really, Lord, this, why this guy? 
Jesus said, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. I'm sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. God took a wicked man and made him a child of God, and then God set him loose on the world. And Paul labored with the same drive and the same determination with which he had previously persecuted him. And God took this persecutor and turned him into a preacher. He took this blasphemer and turned him into the author of half of the New Testament. He took this murderer and made him be his apostle to the Gentiles. That is grace. That is arrow pointing down grace. That is God loving us in spite of ourselves. And that right there is an example of God's unlimited patience that you might know. God will forgive your sins too. You've met Jesus on the road, whether that was in your baptism or in the gospel. You've met him. He's chosen you. He's washed you clean. And now he doesn't just set you free from your past. He points you forward to the future that he intends for you. See, just like Paul, God doesn't intend to leave you sitting idly by. He calls you to be his witness in this world. And what else can we do if we understand the magnitude of the grace that God would show to us, the worst of sinners, that he would love us in spite of all those things we know about and hope no one else does? That he would forgive us freely, completely, and now calls us to be part of his kingdom, to extend his gospel throughout the world? Maybe for you, that means preaching the gospel from a pulpit somewhere. Maybe it means telling people the message of Jesus or inviting them to come to church. Maybe it means giving offerings that support the ministry that carries this message out of the world or praying for the people who do. Maybe it's serving or loving or caring and being God's helping hand. Maybe it's living a life of such good works that as Jesus said, others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Whatever it is, know this. You're never the same after meeting Jesus on the road. Jesus frees us from our past, but today he's also pointing you to the future that he intends for you, a future that's walking in his love, living according to his plan, and being a light that shines his gospel message throughout the world. God grant it among us. Amen.